0: Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What brand do you remember as a young girl making an impact on you?
1: One that made a huge impact was Abercrombie & Bitch because they were not afraid to unabashedly target the market they were after. And they did it in a way that would resonate. Everybody may not have liked it, but they did it in a way that would really resonate with them.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits followed. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Jessica Correa, the chief marketing officer of Unleashed Brands, the most interesting company you have likely not heard of. It is a portfolio company of brands that focus on youth development. Its brands include Urban Air Adventure Parks, Little Gym, Snapology, and Premier Martial Arts. The business model of Unleashed Brands is similar to a franchise model. They partner with founders and help them scale with support in human resources, technology, finance, marketing, legal, and insurance. System-wide revenue is in the $800 million range. My guest, Jessica, is an experienced marketer. After a BA from University of Tennessee in business and French and an MBA from Emerson, Jessica spent nearly 13 years at Royal Caribbean. She then took on CMO-like roles at Carpet One Floor and Home. Planet Fitness, and Urban Air Adventure Parks before being promoted to CMO of all Unleashed brands. This is my conversation with the CMO who thinks a lot about how kids learn, play, and grow. Here's Jessica. Jessica, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Here we are in early 2024. What are you most looking forward to this year, professionally and personally?
1: Well, let's start with personally because that's always the most fun. I don't know if this is a looking forward to, but I am highly aware of the fact that my twins will be getting their driver's license in February Uh-oh. and that I am definitely looking forward to it because it means less chauffeuring, but it's also a little sad and a little scary.
0: It's a big milestone.
1: It is a big milestone. I think professionally... I really feel like 2024 is a year at Unleashed Brands that we're really going to start to be able to capitalize on a lot of the synergies that we've started to develop. So I'm looking at 2024 as a big breakthrough year for us.
0: Well, we're going to talk about that. Hey, uh, as you look back on 2023, I know we're a few weeks into 2024, but what was your highlight last year when you look back on it at Unleashed Brands? Was it an event, a higher a new company that you're talking to, what would be the highlight?
1: Interestingly, I think 2023, for me, the highlight would be, ironically, that we didn't acquire a new brand Mm. in 2023, which really gave us the opportunity to get to know even better some of the brands that we had acquired in 2022. I think we went through a pretty rapid phase of acquisition, you know, going from, one brand with Urban Air to six brands quickly, and we almost didn't have a time, time to catch our breath. I think 2023 for me was the time that we could dig into each of the brands, really start to understand what they stood for, start to meet with a lot of the franchisees, understand what they were looking for. And that period of not having an acquisition really allowed us to become part of the family of all the brands that we have.
0: Well, you know, the ANA, I don't know if you're a member or not, but the Association for National Advertising, the biggest trade association in the U.S., they survey its members and they have a bunch of members every year for the marketing word of the year. And in 2023, it was AI. And in 2022, it was inclusion. So what is your guess for what the marketing word of the year will be in 2024?
1: Authenticity, or at least for us. I think maybe it's coming on the heels of AI, Mm -hmm. and AI can really, really enable marketing. It can really help us accelerate what we're doing in marketing. But I think the flip side of that coin is it also can start to homogenize things. So I think the balance of the AI with the authenticity, I think, is what we'll start to see moving forward.
0: I love that. If you had to pick a word that you hope for would be the marketing word of the year for 2024, would it be the same answer? Authenticity or something else?
1: It could be what I think that leads to is connection, almost accelerated Mm -hmm. connection. What I love about AI is that it really helps things move faster and takes some of the more generic or things off the table so that you can really build those connections. So again, I think that... The AI powering authenticity, all that stuff together will drive connections. And I think for unleashed Brands, that's what we want to do with our customers, is really connect to them in a more meaningful way than I think we've been able to do. And I think as a company, we want to do that quickly.
0: We had Microsoft on the show in late 2023, and my guest at Microsoft said that they have dated a show that more men are using AI than women. Which I thought was interesting. And her point was, everybody needs to use it. And we need representation with all sorts of people using AI. So tell us a bit about your AI habits. I mean, are you using ChatGPT in your work, in your private life?
1: I am. At first, the idea of ChatGPT and AI was a little scary. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I I find this nerve-wracking for the same reasons I think a lot of people do. But I think as both a marketer and a mom, I wanted to dive in and really learn it, understand it, figure out if I should be afraid of it or not. TikTok was where I curated a lot of my AI knowledge. Then it was also where I became excited about it with things like how it could help me get headshots, which I had not Mm -hmm. done before. And I started doing it in fun ways with my kids, like, can we talk to ChatGPT and get them to make a funny picture of their dad. Yeah. And all of those ways we started to use it in a fun way to start to get to know it. I think from a work standpoint, we really started to use it in a lot of different ways from how do we use it to help us with our SEO on our websites? That's been a great opportunity for us to use it to support organic search across all of our brands. Use it for a lot of our social media posts. How can we use it to create more social media posts more quickly? And I think for us, because we have some brands within our, our platform that are much more sophisticated, have larger marketing budgets, and can do a lot of content creation through there, we were looking for ways to how to do that content creation for some of our smaller brands who may not have the budgets. So we started to use a lot of AI that way as well. And I think we've recently started to use it to support a lot of our analytics We use Power BI dashboarding. So taking a lot of the things that we have on dashboards, feeding that into AI and seeing if it's generating new insights or helping us come to new insights that maybe we weren't coming to on our own. Hmm. So all sorts of different ways.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds great. Now, you've been CMO of Unleashed Brands for about two and a half years, and it is an unusual company. So when you describe the company with your friends, your family, someone you're, you know, meeting, how do you, how do you describe it?
1: Well, it, it's interesting. And I think this, this kind of goes into a lot of your history. What we've really stand for at Unleash Brands is more of our mission than what we're actually delivering. And the mission for us is really to provide fun, engaging, inspiring experiences for kids that help them learn, play, and grow. We really want to, help kids and enable kids to achieve their best life or lives by, you know, providing these experiences. And how we do that is by having a platform company of some of the best in class brands across multiple different areas from STEAM to college planning to urban air with play to gymnastics, to martial arts training, et cetera, and, you know, more to come. So I think, What has been most fascinating to me about this company and this this job is that when we do our customer research, when we talk to customers, do our insights research, it isn't as much about what we're delivering as in the product, like Obviously, we teach kids gymnastics and how to break a board, or we help them get into college, but it's about what those experiences are enabling in their children. And that's what's resonating with parents. It's the, we're building confidence. We're helping the children with resilience. We're giving them social skills that they may need. And it, so I find it so interesting. Yes, there are multiple amazing brands that we have that deliver a product, but it's that intrinsic value that, that people are seeing that it's enabling in their kids that's meaningful.
0: Now, it's obviously an incredibly important purpose, right? Youth development, and you activate it through, uh, through your pillars of learning, playing, and growing. Could you speak a bit about how and why that attracted you to the company, When you joined and why is it so meaningful to you?
1: There's a little backstory in that the company started out as just Urban Air and then it grew into Unleashed Brands. And I think as a marketer, what attracted me to Urban Air and what continues to attract me to Unleashed Brands is that, you know, in in many marketing organizations, you're taking a product that could be a commodity and you're using marketing to sell it. You're finding interesting things to say that will bring people in. I think what's really unique about this company, starting with Urban Air, and then it's true about all the other brands, is that the products themselves are so unique and they are so differentiated on their own, but they're not super well known. So as a marketer, it's a really exciting place to be in because you're not trying to find a cool, sexy marketing way to sell a relatively homogenous product, you have a great product to start with and you're just trying to get the word out there. So it's a totally different perspective when you have something so unique to sell and so valuable to sell. There's just a lot of opportunity to really help the business grow.
0: Now you, you started with Urban Air and you've rapidly grown through other brands. You have a portfolio. How does the purpose that you have help you in the leadership team decide which brands to partner with or acquire, or how do you decide what brand enters your portfolio?
1: Well, first we look at, I mean, we have the three pillars of learn, play, and grow. So are we helping kids learn, whether it's through school, whether it's through education, et cetera, play, which is such a unique thing that kids are not experiencing enough of these days, With really free opportunity to be free to escape from the stress of everyday life and then grow. Are we helping them build skills that will enable them in the future? Something like training them in music or martial arts, et cetera. So we look at those three pillars. That's where we start. And then from there, we're really trying to find best in class companies, best in class in whatever it is, because ultimately what we're trying to do is move kids along from three months old to 18 years old, move them along a Candyland board almost. So how do we offer experiences that are different, best in class experiences that are different so that we can start with them at three and keep offering them new, enriching, exciting experiences, depending on whatever their interests are. All the way up to 18. So we're really just trying to find brands that fit within that Candyland board so that we can capture the customer one time and, and keep them along the way.
0: What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. As I said, it's an unusual company in terms of your origin story, in terms of the purpose, in terms of how you partner with brands. Could you tell us a little bit about Kind of how it all evolved, right? You're you're not that old a company. We are not. And it began with Urban Air. So could you take us into the room where all this started to unfold?
1: Well, ironically, there wasn't a room because this all started to <laughs> oh, uh, unfold yeah. during the COVID era. Yeah, so we were all in separate rooms. So it's it's a it's a good thing that came out of COVID. At that point, you know, the world had been cooped up. Everybody been stuck in their houses. Trying to work with their kids, trying to, to deal with all that. We had just started to come out of that period in Texas. Our company is headquartered in, in Bedford, Texas. Texas came out a little earlier than a lot mm-hmm. of the country did. So, our CEO, Michael Browning, has three kids. At the time, one of his kids was an infant, I think three or four months old, coming out of COVID. Michael and our executive team, we were all very heavily focused on the Urban Air franchisees, helping them reopen, getting them ready, helping them, you know, make ends meet, et cetera. Meanwhile, Michael's poor wife, Melissa, was home dealing with three children and probably going crazy. And they were trying to figure out what to do with their kids. And they were on the internet like, what can I do with, you know, one kid who's very adventurous, very out there, likes to climb, lots of energy, one who's a little more artsy, and then a baby. And it was the stress, I think, of that, because it was hard, like Google and Yelp and trying to find all this stuff. And, you know, they were like, seriously, why is there not one place where I can go to find out what to do with all my kids? Like, can I go to one place and figure this out? And that's kind of where it started. And then Michael was like, you know we could do this. Like we've created the systems and the processes at Urban Air because we had been trying to scale quickly. We had been trying to get everybody on the same page and we'd built all that out already. And he's like, we could do that. At at the time he had thought about acquiring other experience-based play brands. Mm -hmm. And he was like, we could do this with all kids stuff. So that was kind of where it started. We had already created the systems and processes at Urban Air to enable a lot of these other brands to grow. So I think that was kind of where it started. And it's just grown quickly from there, from one brand to six over just a couple of years. So
0: you were CMO at Urban Air Adventure Parks, and then you took on the larger corporate role as you acquired. These other brands, yes, and you now have a portfolio. So tell us about that. I mean, you you still are CMO at Urban Air, and you have oversight over the marketing for the whole company. So talk a bit about how you manage through that. How you spend your time. You're still running a business, and you're still, uh, I guess, trying to scale your marketing across the other front, the other brands that you that you partner with or you own.
1: We are. It's kind of a multi-step process. It's funny, we talked about this at our conference recently. First thing that we need to do really is to look at all of the brands and try to make sure that they are acting as a brand themselves. So that is a big opportunity because a lot of times these brands come on and they've been operating as multiple individual units. Mm -hmm. So really showing them the power of acting as a unit themselves, making sure that they're all on the same systems. They're all harnessing the power of the Little Gym brand, let's say, or the Snapology brand. And then on top of that, it is starting to look at opportunities where we can start using our valuable customer data to start to cross-market and to start to walk people through that Candyland board. And that's overwhelming. So I think a great deal of my day is on change management, is how to work with the brands themselves to make them comfortable with some of the change, and then how to work with individual franchisees within those brands on how to make them comfortable with the change. Mm-hmm. It's a multi-step process, I think, that we're, we're still walking down with all these brands, which I think was why 2023 was such a good year to really focus on the brands that we have in the portfolio to make sure that they were using a lot of the same systems that we have. And, and we're just keeping going you know, down that path every day.
0: What do you love most about what you do, Jessica?
1: I think there are probably two things that I love most. One is when I get to have the experience within any of our brands, within the actual locations and seeing that joy on the kids' faces or even the parents' faces and really, you know, not living in the ivory tower, but really seeing what we're doing and how it's impacting those kids. We do get a lot of opportunity to go into our locations to do that. And I think reminding myself daily that that's really what we're here to deliver is One of my favorite things, I think the other one is when we can connect with the franchisees and when they start to see the value of what we're bringing, because ultimately the very, very best marketing tool we have is the product, is delivering that quality product. And the more time that we can allow the franchisees to be in their locations, to be able to work with the kids and make sure that they're running a really great operation that people want to come back to, the more we can create marketing tools to kind of take some of that stuff off their plates and let them focus on the business and seeing franchisees realize that we're doing that is huge. I don't want a franchisee to have to spend time figuring out what the proper keyword is for their Mm -hmm. advertising. They don't need to be doing that. They need to be figuring out how to make kids smile, you know, within their, their location. So seeing franchisees recognize that is huge.
0: We're here in early 2024. As you look forward to this year, what are your big priorities for this year? When you come to the end of this year, What would you like to say about the company, about yourself as a leader that you've accomplished this year?
1: If I look at 2023, I think what we did accomplish was really getting to know the brands in a really deep way. And I think that is really setting the stage for what we're going to do in 2024. And I think for 2024, our top priorities really are around... The customer, putting the customer at the center of what we do. So customer satisfaction and franchisee profitability. Now that we've gotten to know the brands, really showing them how they can harness the power of working together as a brand instead of separate units. Mm. So doing things like really having consistent promotions and making sure everybody's on board and doing the same thing at the same time and seeing the power from that. So whether it's doing that or using some of the same processes, like everybody using the journeys through our CRM platform, making sure that they're using those same things, showing them how they can harness the power of acting together. I think the second one is around really digging into our customers even more than than we've done so far and understanding not just what we think drives satisfaction and what we want to measure, but really spending more time with them and understanding what they think drives satisfaction from their perspective, prioritizing those things, and then really evaluating ourselves against that to see where we need to improve from a product delivery standpoint. And then I think the third big priority is really starting to test into ways that we can move people cross-market effectively. So use that data to cross-market across our brands more effectively than we've done. So I think if you look at our our initiatives across all brands for 2024, they kind of fall into those three buckets. And then for me personally, I think one of the things I see as You know, when I look back at what I hope my legacy will be in general as a marketer, it isn't as much about what I've delivered. It's about who I've helped develop. So I think really continuing to recognize and build that next generation of leadership, whether it is within the brands themselves, within Unleashed, or with people that I continue to mentor from other jobs, creating that next generation of leadership is you know, the most impactful thing I think any of us at a CMO level can do. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: figuring out how to continue to do that at Unleashed.
0: Sounds like a busy year. A good year. It
1: is, but it's fun.
0: Yeah, it should be a good year. Hey, you've had several CMO type roles in other organizations before joining Unleashed Brands. And we're going to talk about your career path in a minute. But how is this job? that you're in now similar to or different from the ones you've held before as a head of marketing?
1: What's interesting about this job is it it takes really key pieces of knowledge from all of the jobs I've had before and smushes them into, it's like the test job. Like, can you take everything you've learned Mm -hmm. and bring it into one place? So I think that's three key areas, really. One is all of the customer insight work that I got at Royal Caribbean. Cruise lines collect a lot of data and they always have, and they know a lot about you. Really being able to learn from that customer insight work, understand how customer insights can and should drive how you market, what you do, how you customize the product. Second area came from you know my second big job, which was at a co-op of truly independent businesses. And there, what was really meaningful and what I took away from that was how what we do in the corporate office really impacts locations. Like what we're doing and how we build marketing programs really help independent businesses grow. It impacts their day-to-day lives in a meaningful way that you sometimes forget about Mm -hmm. in, in a corporate office. And then my third job, took a company public, and there it was about how to scale quickly. How do we put systems and processes in place that help companies grow at an accelerated rate, which you need to do if you're taking a company public? So all three of those things are really useful here at Unleashed because those things are all helping to build and drive the way we're going to market now across both the platform itself, but also across each of the individual brands. It's almost the culmination of everything I've learned so far all in one place.
0: I guess one thing that might be different from your other jobs was you you work, your CEO is the founder, right?
1: Yes. I had that at my my previous job before, and that is a you're right. That is very different. When you have a founder CEO, that's a much different role than at another company in that that your CEO is much more passionate and personally connected to your product. That is a very good thing in that they know it better than anybody else. And if you're lucky, as I have been in, in both of my roles with founder CEOs, You're very lucky if you are in a role with a founder CEO who knows and is passionate about the brand, but also understands that the way they did things, you know, 10, 20 years ago when they started the brand may not be the way to accelerate the brand moving forward. So it's interesting in that founder CEOs tend to have that scrappy nature that enabled them to found to really start a business and grow it. But the really good ones like I've had also had the ability themselves almost to shapeshift as the business has grown into, I'm still scrappy, but I know that I need to be scrappy at scale. So I think that's been a really unique thing for me to, to learn from that, I think, and to be fortunate enough to work for CEOs who have been able to evolve from that founder mentality, take the best things from that and then scale quickly because it's it's a different world definitely
0: what kinds of things do you work on with michael in your job and 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 how do you work with him
1: michael and i talk pretty frequently probably Mm -hmm. daily and i think what i value most about our relationship is you know we both had sports backgrounds so we both tend to be very direct and we push each other we push each other to be better The way Michael and I work together is unique in that we get in a room and we throw ideas around. And it, I think, makes a lot of other people here crazy because we we may start here and then we go here and here and here and here and back here. And ultimately, at the end, we come out with a really good way forward. We also are not afraid to call each other on things that are incorrect or things that we don't like. So we each push each other to be better, which is something I value, and we each trust each other's expertise. One of the things I think I admired most about him, even when I first started at Urban Air, was that what he tried to do was Work himself out of all the jobs he had as a founder. He was very comfortable bringing in somebody who was very, very good at operations, somebody who was way more trained in marketing, somebody who was way more trained in franchise development and let them do their thing. and that that's a that's a skill that I think a lot of people don't have.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: so we trust each other to do our separate jobs, but we also, push each other to be better he'll lay out like a big vision and then i'll come in with okay here's how i think we can execute that vision from a marketing standpoint and we just continue to iterate
0: let's talk a bit about your career path way back you studied international business french and finance at ut knoxville
1: (laughs) i did i'm a volunteer
0: you're a volunteer proud one and then you later earned your mba from emerson in boston So would young Jessica recognize the Jessica of 2024?
1: Depends on how young um, (laughs) you went. Likely, I think she would. I was always pretty driven and I always, you know, like to outdo myself every year. So I don't think that part would be a surprise. What would probably surprise people was how I ended up in franchising. I think I was always very passionate about travel and international business. So I think what would surprise me was that I didn't end up there Mm -hmm. because that interim step when I, I had that job, CCA Global actually, where I got to meet truly independent business people and understand how those people were changing things on a hyper local level. I think that the passion for that would definitely surprise my younger self. But I think finding out how we as business people can impact things locally kind of sent my career in a different direction that I'm super passionate about, but I think definitely would have surprised me.
0: You had important roles at Royal Caribbean for 12 and a half years or so, Carpet One, Floor and Home, and Planet Fitness before joining Urban Air. And you were in very senior roles in all three of those companies. Which of those roles for you or which role in that career path was the most significant in your development as a leader?
1: Oh, goodness. They're all significant for very different reasons. I would actually say Royal Caribbean, but not as much for the job itself, although partially for that, but for some of the people I met along the way. I'm a big believer in mentors and in learning from others who've kind of blazed their path. And I think some of my most significant mentors came from my role at Royal Caribbean. And those men and women have really helped lead me along the way and and blaze that path and, and set an example for me. So that one to my career was probably the most impactful. I'm still connected, you know, to a lot of those people as mentors. And I think a lot of, people who I met in that job, I still mentor, like people who were younger there. And then I carried that with me, you know, along the way.
0: Certainly a theme in this discussion so far is people and coaching and mentoring. You said one thing you're looking forward to this year is people development and helping people, you know, stretch and develop themselves. It's a fabulous belief. It's a fabulous characteristic of leaders, I believe. Where did this come from in you? What's the origin of it? Was it an early mentor? Was it a parent? Was it an early experience? Was it your sports background?
1: I think part of it was sports and always striving to be better. But I think I had a couple people who mentored me. There was a woman, her name's Alice Norsworthy. She now works at at Universal. But I remember early in my career, we had to do 360 degree feedback reviews. This is you know a long time ago. And I did my own and I sent it out to everybody. And I remember meeting with her because she was very worried. Like I thought I was in trouble and HR was in there and she was very worried because I had rated myself way lower than everybody else rated me. And she was very concerned that I had a self-confidence problem. And she brought me in and she's like, I really want to work on on your confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think that she was willing to take that step was so meaningful to me. The irony being, the reason I rated myself so low was because I thought that I was under delivering to my potential and that I could deliver more. So it wasn't that I had low self-confidence that ironically it was that I had a high self-confidence. But I think her really taking that step Step with me was very meaningful. And seeing how one person could make a difference. And I think there's somebody else at the same company who I always thought like she was always like on me, like, you need to do this better, you need to do this better. She was always challenging me. And I took that in a negative way, but she meant it in a positive way that she believed that I could do better and she was pushing me to do better. And I think seeing how those couple people can make a difference led me to want to make a difference for other people. And I think for me, I've always led very authentically. Sometimes it served me well and sometimes not. What you see is what you get. I'm not somebody who who behaves differently in a boardroom than I do, Mm -hmm. you know, in my office or wherever. And I think teaching people that that's okay, and you can still be successful being that way. I think it's important to me. It always has been. Because at the end of the day, everybody only has to look at themselves in the mirror. And you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and be very proud of what you see, and proud of how you've behaved. And I think it's important that people understand that, and that it's okay to do that, and that you can be successful doing that.
0: Now, you've you've coached and mentored, you know, people throughout your career at the three companies we talked about, and you're now at Unleash Brands. What what do you find is the most common area where you're helping an an employee, a mentee, a direct report deal with something that will help them be develop their potential? Is there a theme? Is there a common area that you find is one that you spend a lot of time with your folks on?
1: Yeah, I think it would be two things. One is, you know, I've I've been doing this for a long time now, started working in the early 90s. -hmm. So things are evolving. But I think I've spent a lot of time with women who I mentor in how to succeed as women, so how to make sure that they are respected, they have a seat at the table. I mean, it's a lot of the traditional stuff. Women don't tend to put themselves out there like men do. So how to make people comfortable with doing that in a way that's authentic to them. I think the second area, honestly, would be helping people trust themselves. I think people are a lot smarter than they give themselves credit for. And especially as you're younger, you may not trust your instinct or trust what you believe is the right thing to do, because now the world has become so data-focused. It's like analysis paralysis, and you need 700 research studies to tell you what you already know. And I think a lot of times I just help people trust themselves, help them understand that what they want to do is coming from knowledge is coming from wisdom in that area and to just trust that instinct and move forward. I think people sometimes are afraid to take a step because they're afraid to make a mistake. I make a thousand mistakes every day and I still do. It's okay. I made a mistake. I'm comfortable making it. I'm learning from it and I'm keeping going. So just having the confidence to keep putting that one foot in front of the other to get something done.
0: Yeah, that's great. Trusting yourself, trusting your instincts, trusting your judgment. It comes with experience, and it's great to help people accelerate that experience.
1: And that failure is
0: okay. Yeah, it's part of creativity.
1: And that's scary. I mean, that's scary when you're younger and you're coming up and you don't want to make a mistake, but sometimes you, you need to make those mistakes to get better.
0: Yeah. Earlier in the year, I interviewed the Tito's CMO. And it's obviously a brand where the founder is still there. It's, a, it's a, actually about a 30-year-old brand. They're about $2 billion in sales. And one of the things that he says to everyone is, try it. If it doesn't work, stop it. If it works, keep doing it. Right. And it just it's, that's his mantra. So he hears ideas. He says, I think that sounds really not very great in my mind, but try it. And if it works, great. Yes. If it doesn't, stop doing it
1: exactly it's that perspective my father was a trauma surgeon and when he had a bad day people died like legitimately died and he was able to be like i tried my best i tomorrow is a new day i learned from that and i'll move forward and i think sometimes we get so stuck into that fear of failure but we're marketing like nobody is dying if i fail so i take the step take the risk Do it, learn from it, and, you know, if you make a mistake, fix it and move on.
0: Let's flip into the creative brief, Jessica. The first question is, what brand do you remember as a young girl making an impact on you?
1: As a brand, I think one that made a huge impact when I was very young was Benetton, because they were one of the first brands that did something bolded different but i was i think i was young enough then i didn't necessarily care as much about brands but i remember them mm-hmm. being very bold in that they stood for something that wasn't clothes as i became a little older was abercrombie and fitch because they were not afraid to unabashedly target The market they were after. And they did it in a way that would resonate. Everybody may not have liked it, but they did it in a way that would really resonate with them. And they started to tell stories and they started to do this back when people did a lot of print. They started to do those catalogs really differently Mm -hmm. with unique photography that wasn't as much about the clothes as it was about the image. I think as a marketer, that made a big impact on me as well.
0: You took a bit of time. In your career, to be a self-employed consultant, what did you learn about yourself in that time?
1: Oh, my gosh. I learned how much I love people and I need them to be happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, personally, I thought I was really going to love the freedom of being on my own, of being able to control my destiny and do what I wanted to do. And what I found for me personally is that it was very lonely. And I think you've heard from the tone of this conversation. What I love most about work is leading, is mentoring, is inspiring other people. And I think that's where a lot of my skills lie. As an independent consultant, I didn't get to do that. I was trying to do that with other companies, and they already had people who were doing that. So I was an outsider coming into the team as opposed to being part of the team. And I missed the team part for me.
0: What is a common misconception about you?
1: I think a common misconception about me would likely be that I'm not tough. I think I come off as very friendly when people get to know me, and I am friendly, but I'm also very tough. And I think once you get to know me, you're not surprised, but I think people would be surprised by how demanding that I am. Of my team, I have high expectations. I want people to perform to their best, and I—I I hate to say I require that. That sounds so bossy because I'm so nice, but I'm a much tougher leader than I think people would initially think when they get to know me. Mm-hmm.
0: We've talked about your strength in leadership as people, leadership, people development, coaching, training. Would you agree that's your strength, your superpower?
1: Definitely the thing I like to do the most. <laughs> Actually, I think one of the things I think I'm also good at is. I have a good instinct for knowing where to hit the consumer, what message will resonate with the consumer. I tend to lean into those areas because I'm, I, that's where I'm the most comfortable. So I would say my strength is taking lots of different ideas and crystallizing them into a strategy and not necessarily as good at delivering every detail of that strategy, which is why I am lucky to have such great teams around me.
0: What are you working on as a leader?
1: For my team who may listen to this, one of the things I'm really focused on in 2024 is building that structure around leadership. So, making sure that I am optimizing my meetings, making sure I'm not, I like people, making sure I'm not going off track and chatting about their weekend too much and not Mm -hmm. getting done what we need to get done in the meeting. So, really putting more of a structure in how I manage the team so that we can deliver everything we need to deliver and still have fun in the process.
0: So you have worked at Planet Fitness, Urban Air, of course, and you've recently begun a partnership with a martial arts company. We have. One of your new brands. So how has all that experience affected how you exercise and how you play?
1: Well, actually, what's been crazy is I, you know, on top of six brands and a demanding job, I have two teenagers. I do love to exercise, you know, Planet Fitness kind of, it's a requirement of the job, literally. Mm -hmm. Really for me, exercise is more around being outside. You know, I live in the New England area, so I'm Mm -hmm. able to hike and ski and be outdoors. So I generally like to do things that are outside when I do things.
0: Who has been the most inspiring person in your life?
1: Probably my mother. (laughs) My mom was somebody who didn't grow up with something and was able to create something from nothing and give back more than she took. And maybe that's where the mentoring came from, come to think Mm, of it. sure. But I think she is somebody who always pushed me to do better. And at times I hated it. But I think that is something that made me who I am, that she was always pushing and you can do more, you can deliver more. And I think she probably drove me really to be where I am today.
0: Where were your mom's passions?
1: My mom was really passionate about education for her because she didn't have it Mm -hmm. as she got older, making sure that, you know, my brother and I were educated and that we were grateful for that. And I think, too, what she was passionate about not letting us be entitled. So she was very passionate about showing us how hard other people worked and making us appreciate what we had. So I remember whenever she thought we were getting too entitled, she would bring us to Waffle House. Have you ever been to a Waffle House? Oh,
0: yeah. And mm-hmm. she
1: would make us sit at the counter and she would look, she would always point out the short order cooks and she would say, look how hard those people are working it is nighttime. We are here. We're eating dinner. And look how hard they're working. They're working harder than probably, you know, you ever will in your life. And they are working harder, hard for less. She It was very important to her that that we show appreciation and that we give back. That has been very meaningful to me in my life.
0: It's a great lesson for the new year.
1: It is, I think. Especially at the beginning of the year, because I think people are very focused on that at the end of the year at Christmas, and then they forget at the beginning of the year. So making sure to kick off the year with that spirit of gratefulness and appreciation, I think, is huge.
0: Absolutely. Jessica, we are grateful for this conversation. All the best to you and your team and your marvelous purpose and your great momentum. And thank you for spending a bit of time early in the year to share your wisdom and your warmth and your generosity and your spirit and intelligence with our listeners.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope you have an amazing holiday as well and get to spend a lot of time exercising because I know you love that. I do
0: love that. And I will. And I love being outside. (laughs) That was my conversation with Jessica Correa. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one, and we hear this a lot in the show, the importance of a purpose or mission in guiding your company's actions. This company is very purpose focused. They're all about youth development and it totally guides who they work with, who they acquire, who they partner with. Second takeaway, the power of coaching and mentoring and seeing your career as a journey of helping people develop to their full potential. This is what drives Jessica when she talks about her legacy, when she leaves the workforce someday, it will be about the people who she has coached and helped and learned from. And last takeaway, we had an interesting dialogue about having a personal structure for spending your time so that you're focused on the right things and the right outcomes. Jessica is a very talented and experienced leader. And even she was rethinking in 2024, the kind of structure she wants to bring to her job, a framework for how she focuses and spends her time. I think a great lesson for all of us in the new year. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.